Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I'm so excited about today. We are going to have another black doctor on the show. And this just nothing brings more joy to my heart than seeing these educated brothers out here sharing a message of hope and not only hope, but sharing their accomplishments with our communities. We've had a few of you that have had your doctorate, and there's some people that have been on the show that are in the process of getting their doctorate. And today we are joined by Dr. Cherry, and we're going to jump into the conversation. Like I said, I'm always excited about this because I just think that the podcast has opened up so many doors and being able to talk to incredible people that have incredible passion, vision, and they're creating things. Dr. Cherry is one of those people as well. Without further ado, Dr. Cherry, welcome to the show. Emlyn, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. I've heard so many things about your show and I've listened to your show and all the phenomenal guests that you've had. They have enlightened me. Anytime you can hear a podcast that contributes to the human condition, I appreciate it. So kudos to you, sir, of having this platform and having me on. Thank you. Thank you. Chopped it up a little bit. We've talked about a few different things and we're going to touch on a few different areas today, but we're going to talk mostly about aligning your life with your money and how important that is. Dr. Cherry has his PhD in financial planning. Talk to us a little bit about that. What did it mean to you to get your PhD as a black CFP already and then to get your PhD in financial planning? What did that mean to you? Great question. I received my gift the other day. We had a virtual commencement because, you know, COVID-19 and whatnot. My family got to attend virtually. Everybody knows something about me, which is I am the best uncle on the planet and maybe in the universe. <laughs> I talk about my niece a lot and I haven't had the gift of children quite yet. And this is the closest thing I've experienced with children. This is the first human being I've seen. My nickname for her is Scratch because that's the first human being I've seen born from scratch. They think I'm kind of kidding when I talk about my niece so much. It's a special relationship and it truly is a gift. One of my motivations was to do something not only to progress myself and my family and have impact on the profession and communities and young people and change households as well, was for my niece to have unlimited opportunity and beliefs on what her dreams can be and what she can accomplish. That gift was given to me after the virtual ceremony. She sent me a video. Her video was about, she goes, Uncle Preston, I did some research now. <laughs> doing, <laughs> having a PhD, that touched my heart right there because she got into the research real quick. And she goes, I did some research and I was looking into these majors, these degrees that I could get from, and I got my degree from Texas Tech. And she was like, I saw, you know, she's into equestrian type of thing. She loves agriculture and all that. And she goes, I found these. And she goes, there's an aquatics team, you know, I like to swim. And I think she used to wear aquatics too. This was fabulous stuff. Yeah. So I'm just doing this research and I just watched your commencement. I want to be just like you, Uncle Preston. I want to do what you do. That right there, I choked up just a little bit. I got chills right now. That right there is my gift. I don't have to progress any more further, to be honest with you. <laughs> that right there is why. And then I transfer that into, you know, households. That why, right there, everybody's asking about the why. That why is what motivates me to transfer that into business, 
going into the households, when we're talking about trying to progress those financial behaviors and whatnot and all that. That right there is why. And then pursuing the PhD is that's why, because it just unlocked any limitations. You don't need a PhD in order to do that. But for me, I knew what direction I wanted to swim toward and allowing me to accomplish everything that I wanted to accomplish. This was the direction for me. And showing that to others is my why. Imagery is so important. Your niece sees your commencement and she sees you get your doctorate. That's what I want to be. So it's so important for children of color to see people that are proximate and close to them doing things like getting their PhD. It's cool to see athletes. It's cool to see, you know, entertainers. That's all fun, fine and dandy. And there's nothing wrong with those people or those professions. I think they're great. But there is something to be said about a person like yourself that takes the time to put in the work and dedication to get your doctorate and then have someone near and dear to you as your niece say, I want to be like you. I mean, that part. I mean, what else can you want? You know what I mean? I think we just end the show right there. Three minutes, 50 seconds. Like, make sure that your kids want to be or your, your people that love you look up to you. That's right. I just dropped the mic right there. I mean, truly, truly. I mean, because it is about aspiration because I did share with her, just like her mother and her father and and her grandparents, because it takes a village. We share with her all the time. It's about the aspiration and the belief that you can do and you don't have to limit yourself. Be open to what's motivating you internally to want to go achieve, whatever that may be. And that's the key. Often, we find that mentors or parents or whomever that are grooming and shaping a child want to silo them into lost dreams themselves or somewhere that they think they should be. My motivation to show along with her parents and grandparents is about just saying, hey, whatever aspiration you have, it could be done. Whatever motivation and drive you and what you feel, dedicate yourself to it without limitation. Absolutely. And I love that. As we're thinking about life aspirations, you have some life aspirations or people have those. And then there's some monetary resources that they need to be able to find or have. Can you talk to us about the connection between life aspirations and those money resources that are available to people that have larger than life aspirations? It's the will. It's the intangibles. And I know sometimes these get cliche. However, if the aspirations are defined, you know, we talk about all the time about transforming goals into objectives because objectives have a little bit more detail. Then this is the same thing. You have to be ready and nobody else can do that for you. It's a personal inventory. Those are those things I share with all the time is what we deliver is peace of mind. And like, everybody's like, man, what is that? What is that? It is what it is. I know that's cliche. I, I wish saw a TV show and said, you know, why are you using cliches? It said, because they work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know? But that it thing, that peace of mind, that personal inventory, that will to want, that it, don't know what it is until you go through it. And then it starts making sense. And that's what it was for me. I had the blessing of parents that gave me a foundation of humanity and self. I just took the natural course of human development. Yes, at periods it was strong. At some periods it was not. One period of my life, Emlyn, I lost my direction. I lost myself. It was quite painful. Paid dearly for some of my own self-destruction at time. And then it came upon me. I was able to admit to myself what was going on at the time, acknowledge my feelings about it and take action. I call it the ah factor like Oprah. This happened to me in segments over the last 10 years, but it really came to me in 2016. 
And I took a personal inventory and I said, okay, what do you want to do, Preston? All else perfect. If it was all else equal, what would you want to do without any boundary? I wrote that down. I then I then pursued it. Bow tie it with this as far as aligning your aspirations with your money. I've written myself several letters and I keep them around. And right now I'm looking at one right now as we are talking with one another. And I had to keep it in an envelope. At a point, one of my lowest points, I wrote things to myself. I think I got down to a list of 35, 38. The number doesn't matter, but uh, it was around almost 40 things. Half of them talked about the misalignment of my emotion and my well-being with my money. There was a disconnect, the shame, the guilt, the disappointment. Not only was the emotional part of that at the forefront, it was doubly so because I've had the resources. I've had good positions and whatnot, this, that, and the other. But there was a disconnect. Then it magnified that. And I was like, you know, I need to align these two things. And that's why I say many times, and it's part of my mantra of concurrent financial planning, which is let your life lead your money, not your money lead your life. So when you're saying that your money, your life wasn't aligned, is this back in 2016? Had you already gotten your CFP by that time? Actually, I took it that year. That's a good question. I don't know how you knew to ask me that question, but it's a good one because it's about journey. I got my master's in financial planning in 2006, and I was introduced to financial planning by a mentor back in 2002. I'm just jumping in right here because I want people to understand this because you're talking about the, we're going to get into the emotions of money later in the question, but I want people to realize this, that you were in financial services myself too, because this sounds similar to my story. In financial services, had your master's in financial planning, had your CFP, took your CFP and still were struggling, shaming yourself, having all these bad emotions about money and stuff like that. And you had all the resources to do this. And so what I'm trying to tell people, it's okay to not know everything about your money because you just don't. And this is why you need to have professionals in your life to help you get these things, because not only is the professional going to help you navigate those difficult waters, but the professional has probably had to navigate those waters yourself. There's no one that wants a guide that's never been to where they're trying to lead you. But once you say that you've been able to overcome some of these emotions that you felt yourself and navigate your way through it and then find yourself on the other way persevering, then you have a story to tell. So let me back up out the way, and let you get back to your story. That's great kind of translation of what we're getting into. So I appreciate that. So the CFP. Man, many folks is like, well, Preston, you say you've been around for 14 years in the industry and longer than that in financial services, and you just got your CFP. You know, why are we listening to you? Why are you providing me instruction on my CFP exam? And why am I listening to you about money? Well, here we go. This passing the CFP was never about ability. It was about mindset. Again, we're getting back to this word about alignment. I aspired to be a good planner and have a good career and all that. However, my life and my money were misaligned because I was spending it on trying to support a big hole in my being. And I was throwing money at that and it didn't work. When I started with a little bit more focus, after 2006, I graduated and I took the CFP cold arrogantly. I was like, oh man, I could do this walk in there. Oh my goodness. I got it handed to me. No question. I knew about an hour and a half in. I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> this was a mistake. I should have done this. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm about, I don't know how much it was back in the day, but it was like $400. I got, what? I'm, I'm about short $400. Mm-hmm. Right about now. <laughs> With how many? <laughs> got to pay that again. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and then the second time, I was hit, get a new job and everything like that. I was making some decent money. Didn't put the time in. I put about a quarter of the time I needed to put into. And I got a quarter of the results. A <laughs> couple more years later, I wanted to tackle it again. And this time I was making more money. 
And my job was even more fun. I was traveling the country. I was a wholesaler at the time. And that was all good. So I went in there again and I gave it about three quarters of the time. And guess what? I got three quarters of the results, <laughs> you know, because I gave three quarters of the time. I didn't get three quarters of the score. I got three quarters of the time. And that just wasn't enough. Then it became a personal chapter that I wanted to close because I knew in the past that I knew what I wanted to do, but there wasn't too much alignment. There was no plan. In particular, my money, they were intersecting. They were crossing. They weren't running in parallel, concurrent fashion. That's where I got the name from. It was a transition period because financial planning is all about navigating transitions. It's a continuous Continuum. And this is what I say about the personal inventory. I, in 2016, I was like, okay, all right, what's next? At that particular time, I said, this is the one thing I want to do first. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about status. It wasn't about what's it going to get me. I knew I could do it. And it was never about ability. I failed myself. So this, when I gave 100% of my effort and my ability and my will, and then guess what? I passed. I got 100% of the result. So I know that was a long story there, but there was a lot that got to that point. No, I think that when I'm listening to you, you're talking about aligning your life with your money. We're talking about aligning our life with our career. I mean, you can take out the word money and align your life with a lot of different things that are going on, your relationships, your family, your money, aligning your life with your real goals. Not things that are nice to have, but must haves. And so aligning your life with things you must have or chapters you must close leads you to where we were at. I think that was great. Why do you talk about gratitude so much? Why is it so important to be grateful for what you got? Gratitude. My grandmother, my grandfather, actually, my, both my grandparents, they had some one-liners, which we'll get into, which is, is going to inspire the book. I'll tell you about that later. But, you know, my grandfather, we used to tell me some stories to try to explain something about life. He said, you understand me, son? And I said, not that time, grandpa. And he was like, well, keep living, son. And that was his answer. It was good stuff. You just keep living and it'll make sense. This is what gratitude means to me. When you survive the ebb and flows of life and get to a self-actualization point, kind of like Maslow's triangle, you're continuing developing the human condition. And after you've been through a few ebbs and flows, then the gratitude comes into, I get to do something today. I don't have to live like I did in the past. I don't have to make the same mistakes. I'm going to make new mistakes, maybe not as self-destructive. There are going to be mistakes that are progressive in nature. I'm in gratitude of putting two feet on the ground. I just posted about this today. MYP to maximize your MVP. So it's maximize your potential to become your most valuable person, not most valuable person forever. So MYP for MVP. This is the gratitude to affect, bring about change, bring about impact. The gratitude to have the opportunity to do. That's what I'm talking about when we're talking about gratitude. And I went through a period to where I wasn't maximizing my potential to become my most valuable person. I was disrespecting the resources that were afforded to me throughout my life and the things that people my friends, peers or whatnot, they were expecting me to do. My dad used to say at that time, he said, people are waiting on you, son. <laughs> They're waiting on you. They want you to lead in this, that and the other. So I was disrespecting that by not maximizing myself. Now I have the gratitude to do. I have the opportunity to do, Emlyn. That's what I'm talking about, gratitude. That's what keeps pushing me forward at this point. It will continue throughout my existence here on Earth. I think gratitude is something that's so not talked about. And I say that because like, I hear Gary Vee talking about, just be grateful. Gratitude. Gary Vee always says that. Gratitude. I think about my grandmother always talking about being grateful for what you have. It's like almost like an old school of thought to be grateful for what you have. My grandmother was born in 1932. 
Great Depression happened. She might not remember it, but I'm sure she remembered. She's old enough to have her brother and sister could remember it because she was one of the younger ones. She's telling me I need to be grateful. You know, she lived through the Great Depression. 1932, things were different back then. Talking about racism, talking about my grandmother was born in Arkansas. You know, my grandfather was from Alabama. And she always talked about being grateful no matter what. And I think we can learn a great lesson from our ancestors that gratefulness is not what's happening to you. Gratefulness is your attitude during what's going on around you. And you can still be finding something to be grateful. Man, I'm telling you, we're going to have to pass the offering plate through here after I get done with this, right? But I think, you know, the gratitude is so important, like you're saying, because it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You can still be grateful for something that's going on inside you because that doesn't change what's going on around you. But what's changing inside of you is the most important thing and the most grateful thing that you can have. What are some of the emotions of money? Talk to us about that a little. You know, it does represent the work that we've put out, you know, the sacrifices we've made, the everyday grind. It is a representation of that. It's not even the paper value of it, particularly nowadays. It's just debits and credits. We got to be careful not to put our own personal existence value. They do represent the human capital that you have exerted, that you've built up and exerted. And then on top of that, money is about experiences, past experiences, present experiences. One thinks about the future, what their vantage point is and what their outlook is. Emotion, money is a big deal and is the deal. It must be processed first in order to advance the numbers of it. I think like when I'm listening to you talk about the emotions of money, I think about one of the questions that I asked my clients, which I didn't make it up. I wasn't the inventor of this question, but it's a great question and it leads into a lot of emotions. When we talk about money, there's always an emotional attachment. So what I always ask people when they come in to see me is, what's your first memory of money? When they say, what's your first memory of money? There's no better feeling than seeing something like we've met with clients. When they sit back in the seat, lie down a little bit, and they're about to get it, you're about to dig in, right? They're about to dig into some real emotional stuff. And so I've seen people slide back in the seat and talk about pick up cans with their sisters because that was something that they used to do. Their parents used to let them go hunt for cans and they save the cans around the house and they go buy something. And that memory brought joy to her because it was a time of family and stuff. Then I had other people where they get on and they're like, I remember us not having any food. I remember us, you know, struggling for this, struggling for that. And that's not the same type of emotion, but it's still important to remember what that memory was so we can start there. And I think connecting your money with your emotion is okay. It actually needs to happen. The idea that people get around money is because they avoid the conversation of money. They don't want to look at this is the person that doesn't want to look at their bank statement. Asking that question, what was your first memory, will give me a lot. Because, you know, when I think about that person that told me about the collecting cans and going to, you know, buy some candies and stuff with there, they love spending money because that was their memory of it. The other person is scared of money because every time that they had it, they didn't show up in a way that they didn't have value on the money. It was just like, you know, we're going to have to, I don't know how we're going to eat today. Not to hijack the question. I just thought I'd throw that in there. No, that question is fabulous that you asked because it starts. Oh, it's the first one. What's your first memory? And they're like, oh, well, this is different. This ain't the kind of normal meeting that I go to. Well, let's talk about it. Let's tell me about what money mean to you. I know you experienced this too, which is there's a temporary moment of silence. You got to be comfortable with it as the planner, right? You got to sit there for us and let them process that. During the process, you may jump in a little bit too early. You got to be Comfortable with moments of silence because those are golden. And one of the questions to piggyback on what you just said, one of my questions, and I love when professionals, we get together and share things that work. This is good stuff. One of my questions is share with me a money experience or emotion or event 
that's happened to you in the last six months. Share with me about that experience, that moment. Tell me how it made you feel and what you would do differently. And then just sit there. I pause with that moment of silence on purpose because people are processing that question. Share with me about the money event, experience, event, or conversation. Last six months, because it's fresh. Tell me how that made you feel. And then what would you have done differently? Oh man, I love that question. That's going to define the whole relationship right there. It's going to define the whole relationship. It's going to define the services. It's going to define the best interest. It's going to define the goals. It's going to define the fee package or whatever it may be. Those type of questions right at the beginning, right? What you're going to do for the client, what you're not going to be able to do for the client right there on questions like this. And I know many people have their different versions of what we were talking about, but yes, that's the pivot point. The door, the defining moment, really, of the. I think those questions are the questions that allow you to align your life with your money. You got to be vulnerable. Those are the questions that do it right there. Like, like if you're sitting there and I'm this, you know, we have a lot of people that aren't financial advisors that listen to this. We had quite a few financial advisors that listen to this. But if your financial advisor isn't asking you questions that make you think, if they don't make you think like, hmm, what does my relationship with money look like? What was my first memory? Like, if you're not getting those kind of questions, I mean, I think that you cannot truly align your life with your money. I ask people, you know, some kinder questions. You've heard of the George Kinder questions. I ask a lot of those questions, but I think what people need to understand, and this is, you know, basically for the listeners and the advisors that listen, you got to get vulnerable with this. Like we've had this time during COVID-19, which I'm almost thinking about doing an episode about this, is the things that we've had to change in our finances for the better since we've been at COVID-19. Financially, we're doing better now than we've ever done it just because we had to align our life with our money and we had to do it while we're at home because we got nothing but time here now. You know, we're going to come out of this better financially than we've ever been. My wife and I are on a mission to pay off about $60,000 of debt this year. We're not waiting until next year. We're not going to drag it out. We're going to do all that while we're doing this and doing some other stuff. But I think that that was because we had those emotional, real questions. We were able to be grateful for what we had. And then so what are we doing with what we have? And so then we started to look at it. And as we started to look at it, it was like, man, we just really were able to align everything. And I know you have a whole bunch of things that you do for your clients specifically. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the book that you got coming up because we talked a little bit about it earlier. You mentioned it, but tell us about statements. There's a couple of episodes that I've, or podcasts I've done over the last maybe 12 months. And I think I first introduced this last spring of 19. So I've been talking about it and people, maybe he's not going to write no book. <laughs> But no, I actually have the chapters laid out and whatnot. But this doctoral journey, right, the PhD journey was usurping a lot of my time, which is supposed to be in focus. So it's been put on the back burner during the time. But the fall or the spring of 2021 is when it will come out. No question. More likely the spring of 2021. It was inspired by a couple of things. It came from me as far as my experience with my own statements. And everyone would say statements is talking about the bank statements. And what I've also seen with clients over the years, whether it be with my firm or working for someone else, doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter the socioeconomic status either. When you do document collection and you ask for documents, you will get a lot of the documents. That first go around, somebody hand you a stack or email you a stack or whatnot, you probably get 70, 80% of them. More often than not, the summary bank statement will be in there. And it's just that one page where it says, you know, the, the debits and the credits, and then it has the balance, right? It has the account number and whatnot, and then all the disclosures. But you know what's missing? It's the itemized 
bank statement. You always have to add it. Even if it's uh, nowadays, it's credit cards, people trying to get the points and all that type of stuff. If there's something of detail about everyday cash transactions or everyday transactions, that's the last thing you can collect because it's personal. It tells a story and you're going to have to ask for it twice, maybe three times to get it. And this is where we have empathy. You know, we got to you know, understand why. She with Wallace says that ball don't lie. He said, <laughs> but numbers don't lie either. I don't ask anything of my clients or people I mentor or whomever that I haven't done myself, Emily. When I went through my statements a couple of times, I've sat there and looked at, and that's why I have this, the letter I told you I wrote myself a couple, two or three of them. Inside of each one of those is a bank statement as well. And at each time, and I got it right here, those are periods in my life to where I highlighted areas, my life and my money weren't aligned. It told my story right there. You're not doing what you aspire to do. And that's why those itemized bank statements are hard to get sometimes. And they tell a story. The second part of the statements is a dual part of statements. That's going to be the first, maybe third of the book. And then the rest of the book is going to be statements about life and how you align those and what that means about ultimately does that filter in into your money. And it's not going to be one of those books where you just got a statement that says, okay, here's some blank lines. Tell me what you think about this. No, this is going to be an actual book. Real good wisdom nuggets that I got from my grandparents and my parents, influencers on my life, peers now. I'm going to say, you know, tell me a statement that came across your life that changed your life, it impacted your life. And then I'll tie that into money. So statements has a dual meaning. It's that itemized bank statement, tells a story, and then statements about life. And they're going to marry those two together throughout the book. We need that book. People waiting on you. I heard someone else say that. People waiting on you. My grandfather used to always say in uh, this statement that he used to always tell me, he said, if you look like someone, you act like someone, people will treat you like mm. someone. Shaped my life, mm. changed my life. Always made me look like someone when I was going somewhere. I might not even fake it like we make it. Mm -hmm. Not that, not that, because nothing fake about it. Just looking like someone, acting like someone, people will treat you like someone. And at the end of that, you will be someone. someone. That's from Elgin Miles, my grandfather. He passed away. His legacy lives on. Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I, yeah. I have to be calling you up. That may have to be a chapter right hey, there. Hey, I'm with it. Let's do it. Let's do it. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we are changing the complexion of wealth. You gave us a little bit about what motivates you, inspires you, but is there anything else that you can add to that? That what inspires you really just to continue to grow and learn and be you? I like the be you part. We shared a couple of words here. Be you, being vulnerable, takes courage to do so. I've even struggled with that, the vulnerability part of it. You know, even at 41 right now, I'm coming into some new parts of, of being vulnerable. People tend to use the word brand and authenticity and, and all that. And that's, those are nice and all that. But be you. What's the greatest advice I got from my mom and my dad is like, is be you. And when I'm having conversations with people, Emlyn, it's like, what I hear most is, hey, I enjoy being around you. And I, that's what I appreciate. There's the gratitude. I don't have to put on airs. I'm more comfortable with myself, which I call the Benjamin Button stage of my life. You know, there's about a 10 minute part of that movie to where, you know, they're both, their lives intersect at the right time, you know, where he's not getting younger, right? Or getting older, either one of them. I think they're dancing in the middle and it's a perfect time. And that's what I'm grateful for, Emlyn, is that I'm in this point of my life right now that I do get to be vulnerable, be me, and have that impact what's going forward. That's a gift. And then also understanding that I have more growth to do. Yeah, I mentor others. I talk to professionals. I'm an advisor, coach, and this, that, and the other. But look, I reach out for advice all the dang on time. I reach out for guidance all the dang on time. I admit that I have confidants that I call, whether it be my mother or my girlfriend, you know, one of my homies. I reach out and say, you know, this is not my day today. Or not, not necessarily it's not my day, but, you know, I'm feeling a certain kind of way today. 
just to surmise, you know, uh, like you said, the coach <laughs> coming back around. Put some in it. Put some in it. Put some in it. Put some in it. Remember, coming to yeah. me, they said donations, donations. <laughs> it is that opportunity. And that's what I'm talking about gratitude. It's the opportunity to be oneself, to be vulnerable with oneself, open oneself, and use those resources that self-actualization is never really never achieved, but once it's, you know, in a progressive state to then pass that forward and everything that you do and everything else will take care of itself. And that's just something from keeping on living. I like my that. Grandfather you stay to. around long enough, you'll learn something. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to stay around. You just got to stay around. <laughs> kids just staying just around, stay around, getting up. <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice, to, like a parting gift, what would that be? Be honest with oneself. There will be one or two moments, maybe three. I know I've had a couple, but one defining for sure to where I'd be honest with oneself. Who are you? You know, not your job, not what you do, you know, nothing like that. Not what people expect you to be. Take a moment. It's not going to happen in a day. Take a when I say a moment, just a moment in time and have a personal inventory with yourself. I accomplished a few things in my 20s and 30s and whatnot. I thought I knew what I was chasing. The reasons why weren't rooted. Who actually is, you know, Preston Cherry? Have an honest conversation with yourself. Take a personal inventory and then be vulnerable enough to reach out for support and understanding and guidance. Bootstrap stories are very, very, very rare. Somebody helps you along the way. And it may not have been to the magnitude of others where everybody has a lot of resources, comparatively so. But somebody helped. So that's why please believe that there is somebody that will, when you're ready, and you've had that personal conversation with yourself and honest conversation with yourself. People feel that and they're willing to help if you have the courage to reach out. Absolutely, bro. I appreciate that, man. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. If people want to get more of Dr. Cherry, what social medias are you popping on? Which ones are you active on? Where can they get some more of this good <laughs> stuff that you got going on? Oh, my goodness, man. I'm trying <laughs> my best on the social media. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Dr. Preston Cherry. I am on Facebook with the extension of Concurrent FP. On my personal page, you'll see that too, where you can see my family engagement with my friends as the extension is Preston.Cherry. And you can also find me on LinkedIn as well. Just put Preston Cherry in there and I'll pop up. Concurrent has something on LinkedIn as well. And they're coming out with something all the time. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be my main ones. Nice. So you can find me there. So we ain't so. getting you on TikTok, huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> man, look, man. Right, man. <laughs> you know, I'll get on there hey. with like Will Smith. You know, that's it. That's all I got. I got 15 seconds know, of a jig now. I can't dance like you too. I I'm not doing that. And then I, then I, I remember myself dancing. I'm this, this is totally off subject, but I remember myself dancing a lot better than what I see myself dancing on video. So I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to not do TikTok. <laughs> Hey, yeah, right, right, right. But I, I still get jiggy with it, man. That's another thing, a parting piece of advice, man. Hey, hey. dance like nobody's looking. Just make sure you close get your eyes, there. man, because you open them up, about. it's going to be someone looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but man, get once again, dance, brother, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. Really touched by the story about your niece. That has to be incredible to have your niece see you getting your doctorate and then saying, that's what I want to do. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your resources. I thank you for your vulnerability. It's great to have you on. As you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now. 
and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here, and until next time, 